Thank you, Anthony and Sheila, for that. That did my heart good to hear that, hear your singing again. And I miss our gatherings, our live worship times, but aren't you grateful for this, that we can do this live? And that's the, the credit of our wonderful media team. They've worked really hard this week to get all this set up in place, <clears throat> along with uh, Pastor Nelson. And uh, I just deeply appreciate that. Um, I'd like to also welcome this morning uh, Wellspring Fellowship in Belleville, Ontario. I know they're watching. They're tuned into this. Uh, the Well in Ohio, a sister church there. We're just so grateful for them. Our church family in Baltimore. <clears throat> and um, also our church uh, family in Portugal, Spain, and Chile. Uh, Spain's gone through a, a really difficult time. Uh, this week, from what I've been reading in the news, our family, our friends are, are safe there, but uh, as a country, it's been really ravished by this uh, virus that's been going around. And uh, <clears throat> just want you to know that you're in our prayers. Um, there's a lot of things in the news, a lot of things that people are saying uh, can be confusing, but we need um, personal prophetic perspective, and um, you need to hear from the Lord for yourself during this time so you can remain emotionally strong. Uh, I'm not so concerned about us physically. Uh, most of us are, are self-quarantined. Uh, we're all in, uh, most of us live in, in beautiful, well-stocked, warm houses, and so I'm not concerned about that, but I'm concerned about uh, the emotional strain that this puts on families and individuals and kids. And um, uh, so asking the Lord how to speak to that, uh, I felt like he wanted me to talk to you about uh, uh, James chapter 1, from James chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. And uh, it's a powerful section of scripture. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally to all liberally, without reproach, and it will be given him. This is a powerful section of scripture. When you read it in uh, some of the modern translations, it, it, it's saying, be happy. And uh, that seems like odd advice to give uh, during a, a difficult time, a time of crisis. Just be happy. It sounds like something someone would say in a Caribbean island, uh, slung in a hammock between two palm trees, drinking something out of a coconut. But uh, it's actually a, a profound word, and it comes to us from James, and that's what changes it. That's what gives it weight. <clears throat> Let me just tell you a little bit about James. James, I believe, <clears throat> excuse me, was the next oldest son uh, to Mary and Joseph, we know that they had at least seven uh, children after Jesus was born. James is the oldest. And uh, if you can imagine the emotional trials, the adversity, that's what it says about trials here, the adversity that he would have experienced as a child. He's growing up um, next oldest to Jesus. Jesus is perfect. His motives are perfect. Uh, everything he does works 
And uh, you have to live in the shadow of that. That would be emotionally trying. That would be a real challenge uh, to have to live up to that. And, and he, everything, everything Jesus does makes you look bad just, be, just by contrast. Every motive that springs from flesh, and Jesus doesn't have flesh. And so it must have been a trying time. And then perhaps in James's uh, teenage years, uh, the whole world, the denomination that you're in, all thinks that Jesus might be the Messiah, and he's your older brother, and uh, you know him, and he's a carpenter, and, and uh, it would have just been such a challenge to have had that put on you in your developmental years. Uh, how do you live up to that? How do you cope with that? And, uh, and then there's that embarrassing moment when Jesus reads the scripture in the hometown synagogue and makes everybody mad, and that reflects on you somehow. It'd be really hard to have Jesus as an older brother in a lot of ways. And then there's that whole time when everything looked like it was, it was crazy. And, and James, along with the other members of the family, thought Jesus had lost his mind. They said he was beside himself, uh, which means they thought he was crazy. And when someone in your family's <laughs> accused of being crazy or acting crazy or acting strange... How embarrassing. What kind of pressure would that put on you, especially a young person trying to make it, trying to get out in business, trying to do something, and this is happening to your family. And then there's that incredible thing where the, the whole thing looked like it went down the tubes, where uh, the whole movement was arrested and Jesus was arrested and tried as a common criminal and hung between two thieves. And it just looked like the whole thing went south. It looked like a bad thing went worse. Uh, and then what it did to mom... Can you imagine the, the emotional difficulties that would put on you when you see your mom uh, suffering? It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that after the resurrection, Jesus specifically appeared to James. And I think he knew that James didn't bring any of this on himself. And in a sense, it happened to him because of his relationship to Jesus. And he appeared to James, and I don't know what all he said, but uh, James, along with his brothers and sisters, are in the upper room with Mary on the day of Pentecost. They're there. They're believers. They hadn't believed in him all along. You can imagine the emotional strain that is, as everyone believes your brother's the Messiah, but you don't. And, uh, but now he does. And uh, he's in the upper room and receives the mighty baptism with the Holy Spirit. And that changes everything for a while, except it unleashed this incredible persecution and scattered um, the people who were, you knew in your church. If you can imagine this, hitting your church. And it hit the church at Jerusalem and scattered Christians everywhere. That's why we know Philip went down to Samaria. Uh, people went to Rome. They went everywhere. And that would have been a really trying time. But it got worse. If you can imagine, everyone, including you, thinks that Peter's going to be the head of the church. And uh, Peter all of a sudden leaves town. And you get voted in as the pastor of a sprawling citywide church. <laughs> and you've never pastored before. Nobody has uh, like this. And so you can imagine the emotional turmoil of being put in charge of something that is uh, so vast, so huge. Uh, later on, James meets uh, Paul, I think it's Acts 21, and he describes the church, and he says, there's a myriad of Jews who believe. You can imagine, he's, he's, you're counting your church not in hundreds or, or uh, uh, thousands, but in myriads. 
and you're the pastor. And, um, and then it just, it gets worse. All of a sudden, James hears of this prophecy from a team of prophets who are traveling out among the Gentiles. And the lead prophet, his name is Agabus. And all of a sudden, he brings a word that says there's a worldwide famine coming to get ready for it. There's a worldwide famine coming. And it hit. It hit Jerusalem especially hard, hit Rome, hit Assyria, hit a number of places all at the same time. It didn't blanket the whole earth all at once, but gradually everything was affected by it. That's like saying there's an economic crisis coming uh, where there's not going to be any money. There's not going to be any food. A famine means nothing grows. And so the whole known world at that time was agriculturally based. The economy was agriculturally based. So you can just imagine all of a sudden people aren't working. All of a sudden, there's nothing to take the market. And the people who live in the cities live from the market. They live from what comes in from the farms. And all of a sudden, people are home. There's no jobs. There's no working. There's nothing in the fields. You can't get a job as a day laborer. Uh, what an amazing crisis this would have incurred on the church. Uh, the church went through it just like everybody else. It wasn't like the church was prospering and everybody else was uh, suffering. The church was suffering too. It was suffering so much that God sent help in a unique way to the church uh, through Christians in other parts of the world started giving. And we were introduced to the Apostle Paul. Before he's an apostle, he's just Saul. And he meets up with Barnabas out in the wilderness and he takes uh, Saul to church. Saul's first ministry was a bread run to Jerusalem. He was delivering food to the people who are suffering most from the famine down in Jerusalem. And I, I think that's a powerful, powerful picture. And, um, <clears throat> and then later on, at near the end of Paul's ministry, at least three quarters into his ministry, when he's pastored the, the church at Corinth, uh, he's established that, and he's writing them, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, saying how he wants an offering taken up to be able to deliver to the church so they could have fellowship during this time of hardship uh, to the church at Jerusalem. And so we don't know how long this famine lasted. Some people think it lasted two years. Other people thought it lasted 10 years. Well, this is about a 30-year period uh, in Paul's life from the time he began serving the Lord to the time that he's uh, well-established in Rome and writing, writing to the Corinthians. Uh, that's a lifetime of ministry. We just know that however long it lasted, the repercussions of it lasted a long time. They were economically in a crisis, in trouble. And then there's another thing that happened. Uh, you sent out people from your church in Jerusalem, and they go out throughout the known Gentile world, and they, it, they're preaching something that creates a division and James in Acts chapter 15 uh, is used by God to, to prevent a church-wide split between the Gentiles and the Jews, which would have been an amazing disaster. And it was aver averted because James got perspective from God. He got wisdom. And uh, he kept us cool, even though this had to be a tremendous uh, time of adversity, pressure. And um, what he writes here <clears throat> takes on weight when you realize who wrote it, and you realize that he'd been tested, and he had been uh, uh, forced to grow, forced to mature, forced to keep his head, forced to get heavenly perspective in a really difficult time. And then he turns around, and he's writing to a church 
that's scattered throughout the world, a church that's gone through a lot. And he says, look at count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces something, produces uh, endurance, perseverance. And he must have realized that endurance is valuable emotionally. It's, it's what we're suffering here and what, what people around the world are suffering mostly is emotional uh, crisis. Uh, people are, are having a hard time being home. People having a hard time not being at work or being at home with the kids or kids not being in school. It's, it's not physical. It's emotional. And so he writes to them. He says, look, at, um, look to see what this can produce in you. And I'm hoping that when we come out of this as a church, that emotionally we'll be more mature. Emotionally we won't be blown away by, by everything that happens. Um, Peter and Paul both wrote in their epistles that this was the end times. And now we're 2,000 years out from what they wrote. This has got to be the end of the end times. Uh, there are trials. There's, there's difficulties. And it's, it's, a, it's a reality that's hitting our world. Uh, you realize how really small the world is during this crisis. I was deep in the jungle among a tribe, most of them totally cut off from everything in the society, everything in the culture, and uh, just two weeks ago, and um, uh, they were affected by the coronavirus, deep, deep in the jungle. I mean, it's a worldwide thing. Question Paul or uh, James is putting to us here is, how can you grow spiritually during this time? And that's really the issue. What can you get out of it? What can you get out of it spiritually? What can you get out of it where you, where you actually grow? Uh, in fact, the Living Bible says, uh, don't squirm out of this difficult time. Get everything you can from it. Grow from it. Uh, I think that's the issue that, that I think God wants us to do is he wants us to grow during this time. And uh, I think it's the Living Bible that, that links verse 5 where it talks about anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, to the crisis. And... and um, that, that we need wisdom, we need heavenly perspective during these days. Uh, you need it personally. And if you're just listening to what the prophets are saying, you, you hear uh, lots of different kinds of perspective. But what are you hearing? And James, he's, you know, the context for asking wisdom. And wisdom isn't just being smarter or a business acumen. It's, it's, it's perspective. It's knowing what God is doing, knowing what God is saying. He says, if any man lacks uh, wisdom in this crisis, in this context, let him ask of God, and God will give it to him generously without finding fault, without saying, hey, you don't have wisdom, therefore I'm not going to give it to you. He will give us wisdom. Uh, it shall be given to us. We need perspective. Um, perspective is everything. Perspective is what helped Joseph get through his crisis, and and you know that story. I mean, it was an economic crisis, and he's separated from his family, and he's in prison for most of his teenage years. Talk about an emotional difficulty. It says God was with him, and somewhere where God was with him, God gave him perspective and said, look at the reason you are where you are, and this has happened to you, is I've sent you ahead of all your people to save many people. You're going to be used by me to save the world in a time of crisis, and that was an amazing perspective that he could not have made up. He had to have heard from God. 
that allowed him to forgive, that allowed him to survive, thrive. Actually, he wrote, he called one of his sons, uh, Ephraim in Manasseh, God's goodness has been, God's been so good to me that he's caused me to forget the heartache of my youth. Uh, God's blessed me. God's been with me. Tremendous perspective, unusual perspective. Uh, it couldn't have been something he just made up. He had to have heard that from the Lord. God destined this. God was using him. God sent him ahead. God had a purpose. God is being good. I can imagine during the crisis that James was in when Agabus has prophesied this great famine, that there are people who are mad at God. But it was God's goodness that was forewarning. God's goodness that was giving them a heads up. It was God's goodness that sent money and relief from sister churches from around the world. That's the goodness of God. It's a matter of perspective, isn't it? In um, Niagara Falls, Ontario, there's a, uh, on Clifton Hill there, there's a, a Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying it's there. But I have been in it. And there's a fiberglass mold of the world's tallest man. His name is Robert Ludlow. And he's a, he's a huge guy. Great big hands, great big feet, leaning on a cane because he's so big, so tall that he needs to be uh, sustained, held, held up. And the thing about this uh, uh, fiberglass mold of Robert is there's a set of stairs behind him. So it's, it's half a mold. It's half of a person. And you can actually walk up the stairs into him and look out through these eyes uh, of Robert Ludlow. And everything changes. I mean, your wife is just a little tiny person and everything in the room is small. It's seeing through different eyes. It's a different perspective I think that's what God is inviting us to do. He's saying, look at, choose a different optimistic outlook. Take, take the optimistic route. Choose to worship. Choose to rejoice. That's a choice. And he said, do it by faith. And what will happen is I'll let you see through my eyes. I'll let you see your circumstance. I'll let you see you. I'll let you see what I'm doing. I'll give you a different way of looking there's a different way of looking at all this that'll sustain you and allow you to sustain other people, allow you to be a voice uh, that, that uh, doesn't bring people down and doesn't make matters worse. I think the more negative we are, the more critical, the more cynical we are, more suspect we are, uh, that that actually causes our antenna to go down and we don't get perspective I think what James is saying here that's so powerful, he said, if you want prophetic, personal prophetic perspective, it starts with you deciding that you're going to be optimistic, deciding that you're going to rejoice, deciding you're going to worship God, deciding that you're not going to uh, be uh, bowled over by this, that you're going to worship in the midst of it. James is writing this, uh, this as, as perspective for his people, not to be trivial, not to be light, but as a way to survive it, a way to not just survive it, but maybe thrive from it. He got it from experience. I, mean, I said last week that I was concerned about our kids. I, I don't want us to shield our kids from what's happening. I think we should be talking about it. I think you should be aware of everything that's going on, the seriousness of this crisis and other crises to come. Uh, I think there's something about uh, raising our kids up in a way that they endure hardship and they endure it. Um, uh, I, I 
had the privilege for many, many years to pastor regularly at a Christian camp in the foothills of the Adirondack Mountains, and, and I was there many, many times. And, and uh, this camp uh, shocked me when I first went there. They, they let all the kids build their own fires, and I wouldn't have even given them the matches, much less let them build a fire. And uh, <clears throat> then they put them in canoes, and I wouldn't have done that, and sent them down river, and they had to shoot the rapids. And, and then they camped out overnight on a rock uh, uh, under the stars with no tent, and uh, I would never have done that. And it just went on the whole week. You know, I'm thinking I would, I would never let these kids do this. And then they get swinging through the trees on these little wires and zip lines and jumping from a pamper pole to a, tra to a trapeze. And, and all these ex uh, extremely trying, difficult uh, things that they're doing on this ropes course that are, that's in the woods. And uh, uh, I, remember, I remember really being shocked at what they had let those kids do. But uh, I must have been there somewhere late in August because just a couple weeks later, I happened to be in the local public school. And as I was walking down the hallway, I could pick out the kids who had been to Beaver Camp just a couple weeks ago uh, before. I could recognize them. And, and I was so surprised that they walked different. They held themselves different. They carried themselves different. There was, you could see it on them, this, this humble confidence, humble assurance. They've been tested. They've gone through something. They went through something that really revealed who they were and what they were. And uh, I never forgot that. That really impacted me. I thought, you know, we need to let our kids go through stuff. They have to experience things just like we do. And um, I grew up in the 1950s and 60s. So my parents... Uh, my mom was born during the Great Depression, so her parents, uh, you know, uh, there was a man-made disaster called the Dust Bowl that, that set off a series of disasters. Uh, the, uh, the Dust Bowl was, was a horrible thing that displaced people, and people lost their jobs. And then on top of that, 10 years of uh, uh, worldwide depression. And uh, the economy went completely fat, flat. The uh, stock market crashed. Banks closed or banks were repossessing your house. Uh, my mom grew up in that. She was born in that. And uh, so when I was born, a few years after this, uh, uh, you know, after World War II, that was the other thing that happened is not only was there a depression, but a worldwide war where the whole world is going crazy. And people thought maybe Mussolini or Hitler or Hitler were the Antichrist, and they were Antichrist kind of people. But it was a crazy time on top of, uh, in fact, that actually brought them out of the, the, the depression. So I grew up in a home with parents who'd gone through stuff. And their parents had gone through stuff. They were raised in it. And it's, uh, now they're writing books about it. And you know what they call it? They call it the greatest generation. They're the most uh, creative, most resourceful, most, uh, some of the best music come out of that generation. Some of the best books were written during that generation. They become known as the greatest generation uh, we, we're at risk of being known as the TikTok generation or whatever, you know, something so, so light by comparison. I think there's something for us enduring. And uh, James is really strong here on talking about enduring so that you can be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. 
lacking nothing in terms of character, in terms of spirituality, in terms of life, in terms of being prophetic, being a worshiper. I think we need to experience endurance. There was a ship called the Endurance, and uh, it, was, it had a crew of 28 men. They went down into the Antarctica to explore. They were going to walk across the Antarctica, be the first people to get to the pole. And the ship got caught in ice, in an ice flow, and it was crushed right in front of their eyes, and they lost everything. And for the next uh, two years, they lived on ice flows, eating penguin and... Uh, uh, just a really difficult time. They all made it back to safety. They all made it home. All 28 men survived through leadership and skill. And what the, the leader, Shackleton, what he was trying to do is sustain their morale, trying to keep them emotionally up, emotionally strong. And he would even separate the ones who were too negative and pessimistic and critical. He'd isolate them so that they wouldn't bring down the morale of the rest of the people. That's a movie. Uh, it's, a, it's a book by... Uh, Alfred Lansing, but it's also a movie on HBO. They did a, uh, a really good job of capturing what that would have been like. That'd be a good thing to have your kids watch this week, perhaps. But uh, we need perspective. We need heavenly perspective. And it comes, if you read this backwards, it's saying you need to ask, ask God for perspective. So it's you asking. It's personal. You need to ask in faith. And it starts with you deciding, you deciding to count it all joy. That's a choice. He wouldn't have said that unless they could do it. Count it all joy. And I think what happens is when we become positive and worshipful, our antenna goes up and we can start hearing from God. Let me just read this section of James in closing. I'm going to stop here. This is from the message translation. Listen to this. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let's, let it do its work so that you become mature, <clears throat> well-developed, not deficient in anything. If you don't know... What you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help, and he won't condescend when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believing, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the Master in that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. Powerful section of Scripture. Um, we need to... We need to ask God for heavenly perspective that we can relate to our kids, our family, our loved ones. I encourage you, the people who are having the most difficult time in motion with this, call people. Call to encourage them. Hear from God. Share it with somebody else. Call them. By the end of the week, you won't feel pessimistic, negative. It'll, it'll do you, you good just to be able to start encouraging other people. I would read the whole book of James in light of this background, knowing that this is a guy that's really endured some hardship. He's gone from trial to trial and survived it and is able now to be a voice to his generation and how many generations since. He's been able to be a voice in the storm. And I love James for that. And so, but his background changes the book. 
I encourage you to do the same. Let me pray for you, and, as, and we'll, we'll close at this time. And this, this message will be rebroadcast tonight at 5 o'clock as well. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for everyone who's watching and listening. You know what they're going through in their own homes. You know what they're going through in the various countries that are watching. It's not easy anywhere. And Father, I, I just ask, Lord, that you would sustain us emotionally, encourage us, help us come out of this richer than when we went into it, fuller, having, having perspective that changes our walk and the walks of other people. Lord, I pray for messages that would be released from heaven afar, glorious streams coming to each heart and every home. I'm asking, Lord, that our kids would grow up in this climate and, and come out stronger, more useful for you in the kingdom. Lord, use this in our life. I don't believe you sent it, but I'm asking that you'd use it. Use it, Father. Use it to grow us, we pray. We thank you for what you're doing. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you live again next week.